interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hey everybody and hello humans. It is Josh back with DC Comics Podcast for Not a Robot and with with me, me as always is my comic compatriot Rob. Hello robots. Wait, shit. No. Okay, let me do that over again. <laughs> hello humans. Line. Thank you humans. <laughs> You're oh, the mystery is revealed. The <laughs> behind the curtain. it is episode 95 and we've got a slew of books for you uh we've got a few under honorable mentions a few under spotlight and some more that are in depth we're gonna go ahead and get that to you and before we do we are going to touch upon some news rob has not been an unbusy individual so um uh, I've got the majority of the news now, and we are going to be talking about a number of things, and I'm going to kick things off in the news with the Will Eisner Comic Industry Awards. There are so many good nominees. Um, DC and Image are leading across multiple categories. Uh, DC is boasting um, 15 titles that have been nominated and image is right behind that with 14 marvel where the fuck are you uh night nightwing is uh boasting the most nominations for dc they've got five total and uh out of image destroy all monsters has three nominations and that's a hell of a series too you should go out and get that um the one that i am pulling for the most and it is because uh out of every every comic book that I've read in forever, um, every comic book that I, I've I've read in forever, and I read a lot, especially for this podcast. Um, I've never had one touch me so emotionally as Tap 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 did in the Green Arrow 80th anniversary, a dedication to Denny O'Neill, written by his son and drawn by Jorge Fornes. Um, I read that, or I say I read that, I looked at that. It's a, it's a silent comic. There's not a word in it. And, uh, by the time I got to the last page, I was crying. So if that doesn't win best short story, nothing should, it should just be a vacant award this year. Everything else though, I can't wait to see what happens. Um, and speaking of tributes, uh, we lost Denny O'Neill and we also lost Dio Lima. Um, he was out walking his dog, and he started not feeling good. He got taken to emergency care, and he uh, he suffered a pulmonary embolism, which is super scary. Uh, that's that's uh, the um, pulmonary hypertension is something that I su- 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 suffer from, and uh, that's always right around the corner. Um, so it is, it is scary. He was an amazing, uh, amazing colorist. He really was. And, uh, he did a lot of time teaching younger people on, uh, about the craft. He was seen in Carnage, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Doctor Who's Ghost Stories, Torchwood, Battlestar Galactica, all kinds of stuff. Um, so, uh, hearts go out to his family and anybody that knew Dio Lima, or Lima, excuse me, and, uh, you know, you will be missed, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
let's knock out some Marvel news first. Marvel Comics, upcoming New Mutants number 26, and this is what caught my eye. It's going to have an older version of Magic. Ileana oh. Rasputin aged up, and you know how her soul sword was destroyed, right? Well, she is going to be back with a very special new sword. One that is apparently made out of Warlock. Huh. <laughs> right? <laughs> With a twist. Oh, that's interesting. And honestly, that is a... not far off the mark for Warlock. <laughs> nope, nope, not far off the mark at all. So I'm interested in seeing where that goes. I love magic. She's always been an awesome character. Uh, way cooler than her brother. <laughs> um, yeah. In more Marvel news, I don't know what's going to result in this. But Marvel let the the rights lapse to Conan the the Barbarian. I thought you were going to say Conan the O'Brien just now. <laughs> I, don't know why. I think I, I may have almost done that. Um, <laughs> and another real brief thing that I found out is that apparently Jane Foster and Thor are going to be getting married. So congrats oh. to you guys. Uh, you'll get my card nice. in the mail. I can't make the wedding. I don't yeah. have the gas money to get to Asgard. No, that uh, rainbow bridge toll is a pain in the ass. It's so expensive. That's what I'm saying. I'm Who's got gold anymore? And, and I mean, seriously, it's nothing but speed traps. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got a bit of uh, DC news, but real quick before I get there, I've got one thing, probably of particular interest to Rob. Um, mm. Optimus Prime is going to be returning in a new sequel to Transformers Shattered Glass. Oh. And, of course, that means that, once again, our favorite Autobot hero is going to be evil. Yes, but not... I haven't read Shattered Glass yet. I don't, I'm behind oh, shit. on that. I'm sorry, but well, no. I, <laughs> I I know the story of Shattered Glass. Like the Decepticons and Autobots have basically swapped sides. The Decepticons are good guys, and the Autobots are bad guys, which makes for some very interesting palette swaps. <clears throat> but for those that don't know, and you are a Transformers fan, if I understand correctly, it's not Nemesis Prime. It's still Optimus Prime. He's just evil. Right. So it's not Nemesis Prime. Right, it it is indeed Optimus Prime, just uh, he he believes uh, in all the things Megatron believes in. Yep, it's his heel turn. Yeah, I guess because we were talking about wrestling earlier, so there's right yeah. on my tongue. Now yeah. jumping over to <laughs> jumping over to DC news, hitting the TV shit before I get into the comics. Um, the Flash, Superman, and Lois, and the new Gotham Knights shows will be coming out in 2023 which means that the only comic based TV show on CW for the remainder of 2022 is going to be Stargirl and how because I mean if I'm being honest I forgot that that was even a thing (laughs) I forgot that that show was even on Superman Um, and Lois I guess the season's done now right Yes, so I, else, I yeah. believe so. There should, yeah, it's all done. Um, yeah. And while there's definitely some CW tones that are going on there, I gotta say, stepping away from the CW formula as much as possible is what I see going on in that show. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I haven't watched The Flash in a while, 
You know, I mean, uh, go Team Iris and all of that, but it's just not floating my boat. I will give Gotham Knights a shot for sure when it comes out. Superman and Lois uh, has been the bee's knees for me as far as that goes. I am disappointed Naomi got canceled because that was a bunch of shit. I love that show. Um, My wife did not. She said it was ridiculous, and apparently everybody else did too. (laughs) I couldn't say anything. I haven't watched it yet. (laughs) Well, I mean... You, you don't have to get ready for season two, so take your time. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, switching over finally to DC Comics news, uh, I've got four little tiny pieces. I'm sure uh, some of you have seen or read probably at least a little bit of this. Um, at the forefront of DC Comics news, what is happening is a uh, Tom Taylor and Trevor Herzine's DC Zombie Saga Deceased is coming out with its finale arc later this year, and the title of that is going to be Deceased War of the Undead Gods. I loved right. every single issue of everything Deceased. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that this stays true to the same way that he was able to rope me in, make me care about people I didn't fucking care about, love those people that I didn't care about and then crush them in front of me <laughs> with a vengeance <laughs> with a vengeance I mean for fuck's sake I was about an inch away from ordering a t-shirt that said tree lobsters on it that's <laughs> that's how much I loved deceased you know I mean whoever thought that I would be invested in the creeper for crying out loud but yeah. hey here we are. <laughs> uh, past Tom Taylor, we're going to get into Chip Zdarsky, who is writing the upcoming Batman series and or taking over the upcoming, yeah, taking over Batman soon. I'm just going to say that. There we go. And uh, one thing that is standing out to me is that Chip Zdarsky has promised people like me that we will be exceptionally happy with his portrayal of Tim Drake because he also believes that Tim Drake is the best Robin. And he's right. Tim Drake worked his ass off to be Robin. Everyone else was given the role. Go Tim Drake. Yeah, that's true. So there's that. Two little, two more little pieces. First about Flashpoint Beyond, and then, of course, I'm going to get into a tiny tidbit about Dark Crisis. Uh, about Flashpoint Beyond, this is uh, Ed John's answering his, uh, giving an answer to a interview question that he was asked uh, from CBR. He was asked if any crossovers will come out of Flashpoint Beyond or if it will be a self-contained series. Of course, Johns said that the series falls into both camps. It's a completely self-contained story that affects a lot of characters moving forward in the DC universe. It's going to be self-contained, much like Sinestro Corps was when he wrote that. But it will affect the entire DC universe. This event specifically affects members of the Justice Society, particularly the ones who are from both the past and the future. Uh, lastly, he says, yeah, (laughs) lastly, he says flashpoint beyond affects time and all things related to time. 
The story becomes very character-based by the time it comes to an end, and it spills out into several things that we can't talk about just yet. So this is either going to be spectacular or it's going to be three Jokers. Yeah. I love how that's become the scale of Jeff Johns now. It is. It's either going to be great or it's going to be three Jokers. (laughs) Exactly. uh, You know, three Jokers is fucked when people aren't using Doomsday Clock. (laughs) (laughs) that, That honestly, that book wasn't horrible. It just didn't make a lot of sense why it existed. No, it, it didn't. It felt like a cop-out. Like, it was, it was only there because it could. It, yeah, exactly. Which yeah. was just super odd for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and last but not least, the big vent coming around the corner, or rather, I suppose, the one that we are pretty much in the midst of right now, Dark Crisis. Uh, Joshua Williamson just said that every single character you see in Dark Crisis number one will play an important role throughout the entire series. We're talking about including Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. There are, he says that there are no throwaway characters and, and I quote, Dr. Light has some especially big moments. It is called Dark Crisis after all. Rob, Rob, we're going to get our light side. I don't see. I don't see any other way to interpret that other than she's going to become the antithesis to 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 Dark Side. Which, regardless of whether or not she adopts the moniker, which I really, really want her to, she's essentially going to become the God of Light or whatever, and be the exact opposite of Dark Side. Hopefully, I mean, that, that, called, that hopefully called light thing. side. If, I'd, I'd be okay with that. What what was there was a story in the past decade or so about the life equation, wasn't there? Maybe oh, the past man, 15, 20 years about the life equation. Google so that. maybe that's the key to all this is the life equation. Who knows? I don't know. Well, I mean, hey, Williamson's been pulling shit from way back in the day, and unfortunately, my memory fails me more often than it serves me. So you very well could be onto something there, um, but uh, I can't. I can't say for sure. Um, I think it would be really, really cool if it did, though. Um, if if that became the life equation, and that was Doctor Late ascending, if, if, if you will, a la John would, Stewart. Yeah, I mean, life equation or n- not, I just want Dr. Light to be light side, with or without that title. Yeah. If it comes if it comes from him pulling the life equation from what you say 15, 20 years ago um into the into the the the, the story, then then I'll be fine with it. Yeah. Cuz every time gotta... you say light side, I just I think you there. What's your name? Dr. Light. Dr. Light who? Dr. Light. <laughs> Skywalker. No. 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 <laughs> Go back to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, it's Dr. Light Skywalker, but you can call me Ray. <laughs> no, that he's in the, no. the Justin. He's in, with the Freedom Fighters. He's on Earth X. Hey, there we go. And look what just happened. We thought we were going to have to go without our homeboy here, but it looks as though Brandon decided to be 
uh, able to come onto the show today. Hey, what, what's no, going on, Brandon? I was Brandon? very able. I was I'm very, going. very able. I just, I fell asleep. I'm not even kidding. Like, oh, I, no. I, oh, I, I was... I was feeling kind of nauseous, so I was like, okay, let me just oh. take like a quick nap before we go at 1.30, and then I woke up, and it was 2.15, and I was like, what happened? Oh, so um, just kind of get me up to speed while you can. Oh, well, um, just basically talking about the news that I grabbed up from uh, from the internet today. Um most most prevalently uh, talking about just real quick how um, out of all the titles that have been nominated for Eisner Awards, Tap 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 is the one that must win. And oh um, yeah, I am. Um, oh crap! I uh, I still haven't finished the Substack post that I was gonna do on my my Eisner reactions. I'll I'll finish that at some point. <sighs> Right on, right on. Yeah. Uh, DC's kicking ass. Image is taking second place, and Marvel is uh, it's trailing behind quite a few independent titles. So, yeah. uh, do they have that's any just nominations, the way it is. or is it literally zero from them? Ah, uh, no, it had a few. It yeah. had a few. I can't recall what they are right now, but 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 but, but um, there there were a few. Yeah. Uh, we did just spill all of this out, but I really want to hear what Brandon's idea or what Brandon's uh, thoughts are on uh, Jeff John's interview about Flashpoint Beyond. There was a uh, Jeff John's interview on Flashpoint Beyond? Yes. Uh, he got yeah. gave an exclusive interview to CBR, and he was asked if the crossover, if Flashpoint Beyond will cross over into any other stories or if it will be self-contained. Jeff Johns said it will be both. The story will be self-contained, but it will affect the entire DC universe, specifically members of the Justice League, or excuse me, the Justice Society that are from both the past and the future. Which... Considering Jeff John's Justice Society run, that that's really just Starman, isn't it? Unless he's talking about legacy characters, which that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, our man. I mean, there, there was all kinds of, but I, yeah, I don't Steel, know, man. It's Cyclone, uh, technically different name, but granddaughter. Yeah, wait, yeah, wait, oh wait, God. hang on, wait, slow get... down for a second. Wait, so what is this about the <laughs> legacy again? CBR asked Jeff Johns if anything is going to come out of Flashpoint Beyond that will spill into the rest of the universe or if it's going to be self-contained. Johns mm-hmm. said that it's definitely a self-contained, a self-contained story, but it's going to spill out into the DC universe. Um, okay. He said that it's going to affect everything, but specifically members of the Justice Society that are from both the past and the future. Okay. Flashpoint Beyond affects time and all things related to time, but will become very character-based by the time it comes to an end and spill out into several things that will affect the DC universe at large that they can't disclose yet. You heard it here first, folks. Sounds about Doctor right. Doctor Who becomes a time master. Right. I feel like Jeff Johns grew a tail and started chasing it while he was hearing these questions because <laughs> yeah. that sounds like a whole lot of circle right there man um yeah. i love me some jeff johns he hasn't been exactly on his dc g- g- 
uh, game game in a while. So uh, while. I'm hoping that this is more Sinestro core rather than Doomsday Clock or Three Jokers. I'm getting some sure. serious echo from somebody here. Yeah, I hear it too. Uh, then it must be on Brandon's side. And then finally, uh, Joshua Williams said that every character you see in Dark Crisis number one will play an important role through the series. That everyone that shows up will be uh, be important. There are no throw, throwaway characters, including Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. And that Dr. Light has some especially big moments. It is called Dark Crisis after all. That's a quote from him. So that's where you, when you came in and we were talking about light side, please let it be light side. That, that, that's what we were talking about. And right. Rob had an interesting question. He seems to think that he remembers from, from, from a little while ago um, the, the idea of a life equation as opposed to the anti-life equation. Does, do you remember that? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a Kirby thing. That's a, the life equation is? I'm pretty sure, yeah. All right. Well, then, given as much as Williamson has been pulling out of the past and, and basically pulling a pulling a Morrison um, and pu- pu- pulling things out of the past and bringing them into his storyline, then, Rob, you are probably right. That is exactly what's going right. to happen. I was, okay, I was thinking it had something to do with the White Lantern. Surprise, surprise, it's Green Lantern related, and I picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it looks like it made an appearance in Future's End with Kyle Rayner. Oh. For whichever Green Lantern book that was. I think there was four of them at the time, so they each each of the four Earth Lanterns at the time got their own book about Future's End. <clears throat> um, yeah, there's New Guardians, Future's Catwoman's. End. And New Gods, Godhead. Yeah, so that's that's where I recently heard about the life equation. Yeah, so it had to do with the, the White Lantern, probably the entity, I think, is what the... Uh, I think it was just called the entity. The the, the White mm. Entity. <laughs> I don't remember what it was called. The Entity above yeah. all. Yeah. But uh, as far as news goes, unless there's anything Brandon wants to throw in there, uh, I... I uh, think that wraps it up uh nothing on my end uh i assume you guys already talked about the round robin thing right no we did not we didn't and i did remember something else that brandon brought up earlier this week with uh batman one bad day oh boy yes yeah let's hear also that yeah uh from what i can remember because i didn't read too much into it at the time uh, it's in what, October or September. There's a series of one shots, I think eight one shots, featuring different Batman villains, uh, all basically attacking Gotham the same day, if I understand correctly. And Batman has to take them all out one at a time. Uh, superstar creative teams on each book. Uh, I did see one of them. I think it was the Rachel Ghoul one was 64 pages. So I imagine they're all 64 pages. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm, Hopefully. I'm very vocal about my feelings about Batman books, so I won't go into it too much right now. But <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, it, it sounds like an interesting idea. I'm remembering the conversation now, and I couldn't agree with, I believe it was Brandon that said it. Um, 
couldn't agree with it more that um, if these were one shots focusing on the villains and them doing something, that would be great. If we're, but we're getting Batman versus one villain per book. And it's just an extended story of him taking out people that he's nonstop and taken out. Then um, this is just another money grab. And that really disappoints me because 64 pages, they're going to be 10 bucks a pop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which can lead into round robin because what I said to it was, again, we're having to choose one of sixteen titles. Yet here's eight Batman one shots in one go that nobody asked for. So, <laughs> right? Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk to me about yeah. round robin, guys, because I am completely out of the loop. I've been bedridden for nearly a week now. So, mm. so uh, fill me in. Actually, I haven't looked too much into it, Brandon. If you know more about it than I do, uh, I I don't know winner. much outside of who won, uh, and that was just because yeah. I saw an Instagram post. Because um, I, I haven't been following the voting process at all, but if you follow DC on social media, they post updates about this stuff. So I guess yeah, they announced who who actually won the uh, the tournament, and that was uh, none other than Superboy. The Man of Tomorrow, I think it's called. Um, pull that up. It wasn't Batman. No, no, it was nope. not. Um, and if my you, fucking mind I don't know is how much blown. You can, yeah, I don't know how much you can recall our conversation on Tuesday where we were talking about it, but um, it feels like it's been a while since we've had a you know Superboy title. So I was really excited to see that because I think Connor is is not only is he a great character but is a character that has been desperately in need of examination especially considering everything that's happened to this version of connor since you know young justice and bendis is run and all that stuff and he just really needs a book that kind of focuses in on him trying to you know exist in a post flashpoint world um so i think this will be really great it's written by Kenny Porter with art from Jahoy Lindsay. Um, and yeah, it is called Superboy, the Man of Tomorrow. Looks to be in continuity, but I don't know, that could be flexible. But I think if this is, you know, somewhat of a moderate success, it'll at least get people's attention on Connor again, which I think is a really good thing because he's kind of been absent from the Superman family for the past, um, you know, couple of years in that. Um, he's sort of been on, on the on the outs um, where, you know, John and Kara and, and Clark have been given more focus. So it's a little weird, but uh, I hope that this is, you know, the book that gives Connor the attention that he deserves. And it's going to be a six-issue mini, is that right? Yes, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I was kind of, you know, surprised that it took this long to get a Superboy comic. But, I mean, again, Josh, I don't know how much you remember our conversation on Tuesday, but you were kind of telling me that, you know, the books hadn't really done that well since the new 52, like the Superboy book oh. that they did in 2011, um, yeah. I guess didn't really sell that well. So, you know, maybe people weren't really all that excited about Connor anymore, which is sad considering how popular he used to be, but maybe this will, you know, get people excited about him again. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at those s- s- sales figures right now for Superboy on the new 52. And uh for the first half of the run it, it was garnering about 50,000 sales, 50,000 units. And then 
down uh, by the time uh, see Superboy number eleven, it had just under twenty thousand, and you know, hell, back then that was that was a death sentence. Now they got to wait. I mean, even now it's still a death sentence. Yeah, that's that's not great. Um, No, it's not. Yeah. Those are the books to be, and we can go ahead and hop into the books that are right now. Let's go go ahead and let me shout out some honorable mentions real quick. Um, Wonder Woman Evolution number seven of eight has obviously just one more issue to go. We are finally given the whole point behind this arc, and it is such an interesting idea that I didn't see coming. I really like it. If you haven't been reading Wonder Woman Evolution, it's a pretty good story. It's it's confusing and doesn't make sense at first, but it starts to get real good, and by number seven, you're like, oh, what the hell? Sweet. Yeah. At least that's that was that was what my reaction was. Uh, we got Batman the Night number five, and uh, I continue to enjoy this story. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but the way it's written and the art, I I, I really really like uh, this glimpse backwards into uh, Bruce Wayne coming up. And uh, in this particular issue, we find uh, the basis of how he is much more comfortable with uh, the criminal mind than he is with putting on the socialite playboy mask, if you would. And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And then, of course, uh, last but not least, one of my favorite titles to get into and get lost in is Fables, always has been. And we saw Fables return just this week with Fables, The Black Forest, number 151. Like the main caption on the credits page says, uh, it it picks up more or less where they left off. That's what the caption says, and it's true. Uh, That was back in 2015. And I honestly couldn't be happier. If you aren't familiar with Fables, it is so good. It's fantasy-based and very, very fun. Uh, You have 150 issues of amazing stories to get caught up on, uh, plus a bunch of other related stuff like uh, Jack of Fables, Unwritten, and more. But it's all really good stories, and I highly recommend it. Um, every single one of these honorable mentions this week was really good, and I strongly urge you to go pick them up. Mm-hmm. That is, that is uh, that's my list for honorable mentions. Yeah, and especially if you're very interested in Chip Zdarsky's Batman run coming up, he has said that there will be elements of Batman the Knight coming into the main book. So there will be, be an incontinuity connection. That is pretty cool. I dig yeah. that. I dig that. Because they're introducing a lot of characters that helped, helped shape Bruce um, into Batman. And what we've always gotten a peek back into is uh, his, 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 his physical training, his martial arts training, how he how he learned to kick ass and, uh, um, you know, where he learned to uh, read, a, a, like, uh, micro-expressions. Um, but this is shaping who Bruce is and the, the, the base recipe for what makes Batman up. And that, that's what has me really interested in this title. So, way to go, Zadarsky. I can't wait to read more, man. Mm-hmm. 
but I guess that's it. So let's uh, let's shine our spotlight on a couple of issues. I'll go ahead and kick things off with a uh, brand new, uh, not just issue or brand new title, but a brand new Earth. Um, introducing Milestones Earth M and its kickoff title duo. It is written by Greg Pack with art by Koi Pham and Scott Hanna, colors by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by Janice Janice, geez, Janice Chang with a cover from Miguel Muerto and DK Ruan. Uh, the stars of this particular world, at least so far, are Dr. Kelly Vu and Dr. David Kim, walking through a homeless encampment in San Francisco, California. They're there to help. That's what they want to do. That's who they are. They work at a place called Healerist Industries as scientists and pretty damn smart ones. Here, they have developed nanobots capable of cellular regeneration, so far with plants. To work on humans, it could take trillions of calculations not possible for at least another 10 years, and they are adamant about the world needing the help right now. The director of of the New Research Initiative Dr. Marius Chung is only slightly impressed with what they have accomplished. Instead of waiting for the technology to catch up, they have another idea. Put the nanobots in their brains, which would create a mind-to-mind connection between them and any human they wanted to have a connection with, being able to heal every ailment. Unfortunately, they'd also be able to share thoughts and emotions as well. So Dr. Chung shoots down their proposal for funding to make that happen because he doesn't like the idea of people reading minds. That's what he tells them. However, he's got a proposition too. The company wants to buy them out of their current research at the price of $1 billion. To which they give an emphatic no. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, So they say no to that, and then later that night, after some hanky-panky, David wakes up and finds some creepy-looking monster dude in his apartment. He he says, hey, what the hell? And that creepy-looking monster dude sets off a firebomb. David is still alive, but he's burning head to toe. I mean, like he's his skin is gone and everything. He looks like... He looks like Deadpool... Uh, after coming out of a microwave, it's it's pretty bad. Oh jeez, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, desperate uh, Kelly, his wife, grabs the headset that controls the nanobots and yells, "Help him!" They surround him, and they sound they surround her too, and she begins to disintegrate. Strangely enough, then we get a completely black panel. Next page, David is 100% fine, waking up in a hospital to the sound of somebody screaming, somebody no one else can hear. They have him identify the ring Kelly was wearing and the few bones that were left over from the burn that they were able to use to match her dental records. As he leaves the police station, a couple of those creatures follow him. He leads them out to the woods where there's even more of those monsters, but he's taken them away from people. He's doing all of this feeling like, uh, while feeling like he wants to murder, which is a totally new feeling for him. Uh, He takes out a few, and they mess him up again. The nanobots explode from him, and then we get to see him in his super suit, obviously made of nanobots, and we get to see Kelly, too, full-bodied, 
who lets him know that she is living in his mind now and it takes her a whole bunch of focus to exist outside of him. Without it, she gets sucked right back in and that's what happens. He wants to go to Helerist to see if they can help, but she knows that it was them that did this. And she's right. Uh, we see the monsters going, report, going to report Dr. Chung, who can apparently fly and calls people humans. He says the humans want to save the world. Dot, dot, dot. Flip over to the last page and he finishes. But that's a job for real immortals. And he is surrounded by at least 11 other people standing on a cloud with him. So damn. Uh, this felt pretty original. The art is really, really good. I love the origin. I, I like, like the setup. Uh, I'm looking forward to see where this goes. So far, it has definitely piqued my interest and seems to promise a hell of a story. Like, who are the immortals and why they, why do they have a problem with people saving people? Uh, sign me up for issue number two. I dig it. Uh, I gave this an 8.5 out of 10. I liked it that much. And I'm not sure if you guys read it or not. But before I get you to answer that, I have one question for the two of you. How do you guys feel about there not being a credits page for creatives on a book. It's very odd. There was an issue of a main book a few weeks ago. I don't remember which one it was. That just I was covering it. And I was trying to find credits. I couldn't find any. So <laughs> it's really awkward. But I don't know. It feels dirty almost. Like you really should have that in there, unless it's a creative choice and you you. And the creative team decides to not have their story covered up with anything. But it feels nice to have them recognized, you know? <clears throat> That's what I was thinking. What about you, Brandon? Do you think it negatively impacts the book or, or takes away from the creative team when they don't get credit on yeah, a page? It's, that's pretty bad. Like you, you should make sure that you credit who's making the book. Like that, that, That's... Yeah. That that should be a given. It shouldn't be any other way. That see, that's what I was thinking too, and it just it does. It's like when you're flipping through the book and you're looking for who did it. Sure, you get some names on the cover, but you don't get the names of who did what. Um, you certainly don't get all of the names, and it, it does. It feels like as though the uh, the creatives are robbed of their acknowledgement. So I don't. I, this book that's probably the biggest complaint that I had about it uh, was the lack of a credits page or credits caption box for the creatives uh it's a hell of a book and no one's going to really know who is responsible for it without going on google and researching did uh did either one of you guys get a chance to read this one not yet well, i didn't finish it but i kind of like started it um just because i you know i was interested in in what the premise might be um but yeah, no, I mean, some of it looks interesting, but I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see uh, how it all develops. Um, not the biggest fan of Greg Pak, but I'm hoping that this might be a little bit different than some of the other stuff I read from him, so we'll see. But I, I didn't finish it, so um, I can't really give an opinion. All right, let's see. Uh, Greg Pak... I didn't recognize the name at all, so maybe I went in without some preconceived notions. Where where would I have seen him before? 
Uh, he's done a lot of stuff, um, but I, I know at least for me, um, he had done. He had done a lot of um, X Men stuff that I was kind of meh on, um, and then he had a run on, uh, I think it was Action Comics um, that I didn't really yeah, like so, at yeah. all, um, and then Batman Superman. He did that for the New Fifty Two, and that was very, that was very bleh. Um, Ronan Island was another book he did at Boom, which I thought was okay, but if I'm being honest, I probably like that more because of the art, um, and then I got so bored of reading his Firefly run that I just stopped. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I think he did. Well, it's it's gotta be well, pretty right? bad to, to, to turn somebody away from a Firefly book. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I'm, I was a big fan of Firefly, so going into that, I was like, oh, this is gonna be great, and, um... It was like, it was a premise that seemed to be dealing a lot with like, um, this is just going into Firefly at this point, but Mal and, um, um, why am I blanking on her name? The Gina Torres character. Um, anyway, it was, it was like going into their past during the Unification War, and I was like, oh, this will be kind of cool, and then it was not. It was just really boring. Well, that's a bummer. He, he did World War Hulk as well, Greg Pak. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, I haven't see, I read any of his that. Hulk stuff, but I think uh, I think that's probably yeah, what he's he had most a really, known for. A really long run on Hulk, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I remember I did enjoy that shit. Um, had to with Planet Hulk and World War Hulk and all of that stuff. Yeah. I had fun with it. But all right, we are gonna move from Earth M back uh, over to our Earth, or at least one of our usual Earths. Um, not a milestone Earth in any case. With uh, two of the world's biggest superheroes, Rob, you want to take it away? And what superheroes there? Because there's actually actually a few more superheroes in this issue. So this is World's Finest number three, written by the lovely Mark Wade, with art by the incomparable Dan Mora. Colors from the amazing Tamara Bonvillain and letters from the wonderful Aditya Bidikar. Uh, Superman and Batman are continuing their investigation into the Devil Neza. Uh, I don't know whether to say the Devil Neza or just Neza. It's really weird. Uh, and they're going up against various villains along the way and some heroes they find that have also been taken under the Devil Neza's control as well. Meanwhile, the Doom Patrol runs into a dead end on their hunt for the Devil's Tomb, and Supergirl and Robin, in the past, may have actually found some answers to how they can trap Nessa in the tomb, but there seems to be a little bit of a hiccup about that that we're going to find out next issue involving closing the tomb. So I am just in awe at the art of this. It is still a gorgeous-looking book. Dan Mora is just doing some of his best work in this. And the story, I think, is getting more interesting. It had a bit of a lull in the second issue, but there's a lot of fun moments in it. And it's it's getting exciting, especially with the inclusion of more heroes on this. I know it's World's Finest, Batman, Superman, World's Finest, so it is very much a duo book. And the other heroes that are involved are either incapacitated or on the bad guy's side. So it is still Batman and Superman fighting against their friends. <clears throat> um, but it just leads to... Uh, wondering where Mark Wade can take this book after this opening story mark. Uh, he's, so far, I think he's crafted a really well um, well described story, and it's, like I said, drawn beautifully from Dan Moore. So 
I'm really excited about it. I gave it a 9 out of 10. I'm digging it. Uh, and the inclusion of Robin and Supergirl, I think, was a really nice touch. Did you what pick do you this one? Think? Yeah. Did you uh, check this one out, Brandon? Uh, yeah, I did. I um, it's it's a book that I I feel like I should love. It has everything in it that I I would love, but I don't know. Something about it is like, it's just not totally there for me. So the art is amazing. You know, it's it's Mark Wade doing a really solid job with all these characters, especially Batman and Superman. But I don't know. I just I feel like it's it's lacking that something that really just makes it special. Um, in the way that you know Flash or um, you know, JLA Year One or, or any of his past projects really did for me. Um, so it's it's like it's a beautiful, really fun book, but it just it's missing that something that makes me go, wow, this is an amazing read. You know, every month consistently. So it got an eight out of ten. Right on. All right. Well, I'm I'm pretty close to you guys. I'm actually right in between. I gave it an eight point five. Um, I kind of feel pretty much exactly like you guys do. I, I do love what's going on with it. I do feel as though there is something that I'm waiting for. Maybe not quite missing, but waiting for. Um, I'm super glad to know that we're not done with the Doom Patrol yet. Uh, like you guys mentioned, Dan Moore just blows my mind. Uh, by the end of this, the, the story took a wicked interesting turn for me. I, uh, I need to see more of Neza before I can say that I love this but I do really like it. So I, I ended up giving it an 8.5. Mm. So um, speaking of lots of characters like we saw in World's Finest, there's another book that's coming up right now with a lot of other characters in it too, some new, some old. Brandon, you want to take it away on that one? Yeah, um, this is Shadow Warzone number one. It is a tie-in to the Shadow War event uh, and is kind of a collection of short stories um, featuring some of the other characters that are uh, in you know DC that are affected or, or yeah are affected by what Talia is doing right now um, so we have four stories all of them I will cover very shortly the first is a story called Old Friends by Joshua Williamson with art by Otto Schmidt the premise and story of that is very simple Black Canary has an encounter with Angel Breaker, who is revealed to be a former student of Black Canary. Angel Breaker is able to get the upper hand on Canary before escaping, uh, and Black Canary decides that she can no longer sit on the sidelines and wants to uh, you know, deal with Talia directly. The second story is called Inner Demon and features Talia al Ghul. Uh, it's a bit of a flashback to her past where she feels like she's being undervalued by Raish and wants to be taken more seriously. Um, and goes to Lazarus Island um, to, you know, try and uncover more. But uh, Mother Soul, who is still on Lazarus Island at this time, kind of tells her that you really don't want to mess around with the Lazarus pits. There's deeper secrets than you know. Talia doesn't really pay attention to her and tries to find out more answers, but Mother Soul really has to, you know, put a stop to it and say there are things that you just don't want to know. Um, about about what the pit can do. Uh, the third story is called Panic Room. Um, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention that last story was written by um, Nadia Shamas with art from Sweeney Boo. Um, the third story is called uh, Panic Room. That's written by our friend Ed Brisson 
with pencils from Mike Bowden and inks from Mark Morales uh, with colors from Antonio Fabela. Um, this one also, very simple premise, uh, clown hunter and ghost maker are tasked with protecting Black Spider from uh, Talia al Ghul's ninjas. Uh, ghost maker ends up leaving clown hunter on his own to protect Black Spider uh, before eventually stepping in uh, to save him at the end. Um, and basically uses that as a, a teaching lesson for Clown Hunter in his continuing development. Uh, Clown Hunter also has a new costume. That's not really relevant, but it's here. I'm assuming that will be explained in the annual. And the last story is called uh, Arcade, or sorry, Ninjas at the Arcade. I think that's supposed to be a Panic at the Disco reference because Ninjas has Probably. an exclamation point after it. Uh, and that is written by Stephanie Phillips with art from Anne Molina. Uh, and that is basically um, Harley Quinn is being chased by um, you know Talia al Ghul's ninjas while someone is mysteriously narrating from off screen and we don't know who that is but they seem to be kind of assessing Harley Quinn and her lack of ability to work with teams but um, they, they seemingly need her uh, involved in whatever plans that they have and then we don't know who that is but Harley is able to deal with most of the ninjas without, you know, too much difficulty. Um, but we reveal at the end that the person who has been watching and narrating this entire time is Luke Fox, none other than Batwing, who is working with Lashina of the Female Furies of Apocalypse, um, who want to recruit Harley for some unknown purpose. But we will see that soon. Um, in terms of stories, most of them were okay, but I don't think anyone really blew me away. The one I enjoyed the most would probably be the Black Canary story. The others were just kind of okay. Um, the Ghostmaker and Clown Hunter story was fun, but I feel like I would have enjoyed it more if it was longer. Um, and then the other two, the Harley Quinn story and the Talia al Ghul story, I could kind of take or leave those. Um, so as in a whole issue, I'd probably give it a 7.5 out of 10. Um, if I were to rank each individual story, first would probably get an 8. The second would probably get a 6.5. The third would probably get a 7.5, and the last one would probably get a 6.5 as well. But I don't really feel like doing the math on that, so I'm just going to give <laughs> the whole issue a 7.5. That's fair enough. Um, the Yeah, four stories real quick, breaking it up upon each. Um, the first one, Canary versus Angel Breaker. Obviously, although we've never seen her before, um, the way that these two were written together talking, it felt genuine to me. I believed it. The art looked pretty good, even though it was Otto Schmidt. Um, right up until that last shot of Black Canary's face. That was horrible. Um, when it comes to the Talia story, I really saw zero reason to have this at all in the book. Um, Tal seeing Talia as a whiny brat, which is how I took it, just made no sense and turned it off. Uh, the story was completely meaningless. Uh, it could have been something impactful, but it wasn't. Uh, the Ghost Hunter Clown, the Ghostmaker Clown Hunter story, I thought the story was okay, but it felt unnecessary to be in the book here. I would have rather seen this as a full backup or as a as a one shot, giving it a little bit more room to breathe. Uh, we also could have focused on somebody other than Black Suit Spider Man, or I mean Black Spider. Uh, uh, I liked the art. I hate Clown Hunter's new costume. Enough, the Black Spider character in Young Justice 
He's played by Josh Keaton, who was oh, the gosh. same voice actor for Spectacular Spider-Man. So there's like there's a clip on YouTube you can find where they have Black Spider like swinging around, and they think he says the line "web slinging," and everyone in the comments <laughs> went crazy because they're like, "Oh my God, he said the line!" Um, so, yeah, he has more of a Spider-Man connection than you might realize. <laughs> Other than his appearance, which is just that's that's a lot. Um but yeah, uh Clown Hunter's costume uh sucks. And um like I, I don't like any part of it. And also I am not a fan of the lettering that they used for Ghostmaker, and he's not the only one that was using it in this issue. The the scratchy letters um the scratchy letters belong to Joker and the Scarecrow period. Uh, everything else just, uh, I don't even like reading it with them, to be perfectly honest. And then finally, the last one with Harley in it, uh, Luke Fox, Lashina, Harley Quinn. Why is this story even in here? Uh, I feel like the book was just a cash grab. It was an oversized book with a related title to an overreaching arc, and it was just jam-packed with filler. I was very disappointed. Um... The stories were less than what I was hoping. Even the the quick ones that that were good and decent, written okay, they just they, all of it felt unnecessary, and uh, none of it really saying to me. I was not impressed with this at all. I gave it a six point five out of ten. Yeah. So for me, there, there's only two stories here that actually had to do with Shadow War. And one of them I completely forgot that it was even in the book. So <laughs> that's 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 a big tell. And that one was the, the Ghostmaker story. As much as I did enjoy it, I when I was scoring this, I was like, okay, we had Talia, we had Black Canary, we had Harley. What was the third one? And I, I couldn't remember. Uh, but that's I guess that's neither here nor there. I do enjoy Ghostmaker. I don't hate Clown Hunter, but I agree the costume's kind of silly. It looks like just a training suit. And they gotta change the name. <laughs> if you're gonna be, it looks like a Power a Rangers warm-up plane. suit. Yeah, it really does. <clears throat> um, th- there's there's got to be some character development for Bao apart from no more using Bat Bat, which would might have been the only interesting part about his entire character. So <laughs> right. now that that's gone, what's he got? <laughs> so yeah um the, the black canary one i think was was interesting enough and obviously will lead into more story in the main storyline with shadow war <clears throat> and clown hunter while it was definitely connected a spinoff of something that did happen in shadow war it's going to lead into something else uh the talia al ghul story we could have just done without that seemed very pointless i i honestly skimmed through it i was getting bored with page three and mm-hmm. the Harley story, as much as I enjoy Harley, it did seem a little pointless. And it's really just set up for something else and had nothing to do with Shadow War. So it was really out of place. As much as I'm very curious about uh, why Luke Fox is working with Lashina, of all people, and assembling a team of what appears to be a bunch of villains, I just don't know why it's here. Yeah, that, that might have been more suited to maybe uh, Urban Legends. That's a one-shot story, like not Shadow the, War Zone. If it's leading into something, maybe the first three pages of of, of whatever story it's supposed to be leading into, it you just, know? Uh, yeah, don't feel like it had a had a home here. 
Yeah. And so the one I enjoyed the most was the Black Canary, the first story. Uh, but it still disappoints me because some months ago, Otto Schmidt posted on Twitter uh, Black Canary costumes through the ages. And the very last one, uh, the second last one was his most recent one in Green Arrow that he designed. And then there was a, a, a last one that was just an outline hinting at more Black Canary from Otto Schmidt. And I did reply to him, and he did say, maybe there's more. And if this is all it was, I am very fucking disappointed. Because I was expecting a lot more from Otto Schmidt than just a one-off story in a compilation book. <laughs> uh, especially a Black Canary, is anything Green Arrow related from Otto Schmidt, I'll take it. A Black Canary book would have been amazing. But alas, here we are. If this is all we're getting from Otto Schmidt and Black Canary for the foreseeable future, I'm, I'm very disappointed. So even the one story I enjoyed kind of let me down um, maybe he maybe what he meant was that he was introducing a new costume it could be i, I think mm-hmm. i could be wrong but i think this was part of a new costume i yeah. don't remember i don't remember seeing that emblazoned almost a firebird kind of em- i'm really showing my age here uh, but uh <laughs> firebirds used to have this emblazoned bird on the hood and that, that's kind of yeah. what it reminded me of on the front of it her does look like that. uh corset there but um I, I think she's had that logo before but not in this style so it it does feel very new um i don't know i just i hope for more black canary work from auto schmidt in the future that that does actually bring my score down a bit because I did remember that while we were sitting here talking about it. So I honestly I'm gonna score this a six as a whole. And it is hard to score as a whole when you're looking at all these stories differently because they all have different things that are good and bad about them. But fuck it, it's a six. <laughs> right. I mean it's That's just it. ultimately nothing but filler, man. And yeah. unless anybody else has anything else to add, we're gonna go ahead and uh Take a word from our sponsor. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. Hey there, humans. Thank you for sticking with us as we get ready to delve into our feature reviews. And we are going to swing on over to Gotham and let Rob take the lead on this one. What do you got for us, Rob? Uh, well, what I got is actually surprisingly short. I just realized how little I had written down for this. I thought it was longer. Anyway, uh, so Catwoman number 43 is written by Teeny Howard with art from the aptly named Bengal. Uh, colors from Jordi Belair, letters from Tom Napolitano, and I think a beautiful cover from Jeff DeCal. Yes. Selena needs some time away, so she calls on Harley for a road trip weekend. And while they're on the road, they are tailed by a mysterious person that relentlessly hunts them down no matter how many car accidents Harley tries to put him in. Even at a <laughs> rundown motel, he gets the drop on Harley, or gets the drop on Selena, while Harley is busy getting ice from a very loud ice machine, so she has no clue what's actually happening. We've yet to see this guy's face, but I don't think that's really going to amount to anything, because honestly, if it was anybody of, of, of uh, name, Selena would tell who it is. So they stop on the way at a gas station where Harley finds a flyer for a roller derby nearby and begs for them to enter. Selena reluctantly agrees, but they go. And during practice, she shows how difficult it may be for her because she she is saying she's out of practice, as is Harley, but she remembers a lot more how to do it. So Harley asks her to take a break, get some water, and rest up. 
back in the locker room, she is now met by none other than Red Claw. <laughs> and uh, I actually completely forgot the opening page had a little bit of a uh, recap on where Black Mask is right now. And please, please, Teeny Howard, bring back the, the Leather Daddy mask. I, I regret saying mm. I hated it. I regret it. This this is worse. Please. This is way worse. <laughs> this is way worse. <laughs> it, it's like Scarecrow's mask, the Leather Daddy mask, and a pillowcase rolled into one. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you forgot Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. <laughs> serious Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Please, this is giving me nightmares. It's not even all black. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot how much I miss Gotham City Sirens. It, this Stories like this just bring me back to that. It's a lot of fun. I thought that trio, that team-up, was, was an interesting look at another side of Gotham City that you don't see much of. <laughs> the friendship and camaraderie villains can have together uh, especially a trio like catwoman poison ivy and harley quinn and i mentioned before beautiful cover i love the direction this book has gone this was a fun story it's just a little road trip a little break away from the main story she teeny howard's finished the first story arc and now we, we've got a little little bit of a filler while still staying true to the plot uh, i think it was really well done i gave it a nine out of ten uh, I'm very curious to see what the hell Red Claw's going to do. Uh, remind me, Red Claw showed up in the previous issue, right? I forgot to go take a look and, and double check. I think Red Claw was shown before, or was this her first appearance? I think this is her first appearance. Yeah, I think oh, so. Yeah. In, at least in this arc, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm almost positive of it. The, the last issue, if I'm unless I'm mistaken, Dakin ended with uh, Cat- Catwoman uh, getting with the dancers who were left behind um, after right. B- Black-, Black Mask's a- attack, which probably led into her needing to get away. Yeah. Um, did you give your score for that one yet? Yeah, it was a 9 out of 10 for me. I was really digging this one. What did you think, Brandon? Uh, it was fun, but ultimately just a really superfluous issue. Um, uh, and I don't know, the writing is still kind of like, it's cute, but it's, it's not really there for me, not entirely. Um, and I mean, Bengal illustrated one of my favorite books of 2020, uh, a book called Death or Glory. It was absolutely gorgeous. But my God, this has to be one of the worst coloring jobs I've seen on his artwork. Um, Jordi Belair is normally great, but it just looks so like butchered here, almost Very like it, like yeah, it's yeah, it's like I think it's trying to go for like that neon like noir type of style, but it's it's just not working for Bengal's art, which I think would have been better if he just colored himself, which he usually does, but. Yeah, they they were trying to do something here, and it just it did not work for me. It just looked kind of smudged, so it made the the artwork not quite as crisp as as I normally like from Bengal. But other than that, it was just kind of like it's like fun, but it's kind of like eh. Like, is this necessary? Do I need to read a a road trip of you know Catwoman and Harley? No, I don't need to. Yes, it's fun, but I mean, I feel like this will be if you're like a diehard like I don't know like 
Catwoman Harley Quinn fan, this will probably be a lot of fun. But for me, it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, this is kind of like a whatever story. Let's just wait till we get back to the main story. So I gave this a seven and a half. Yeah, see, me, myself, I, I am all about um, getting Harley and Ivy and Selena together and having a good time. Uh, Having a, a, a having a short mini uh, or an oversized one shot of them just chilling, uh, doing silly stuff, um, I would be behind that. But we've had like serious, serious, serious tones going throughout this arc, carrying over from Ram V's arc, and um, for it to just go from her consoling. Uh, the dancers left behind uh, from the ones that were killed uh, from her dealing with black mask and knowing that of course, if you fuck with black mask, he's going to explode. So even if he can't take it out on Catwoman, he's going to take it out on Gotham city and anyone related remotely to Catwoman. Uh, it seemed like a really piss poor time to have Catwoman pull out of Gotham city. Even if she didn't pull out far, they went, uh, they went on a road trip, which is something that I guess Harley just does is take uh, female teammates on road trips. We've seen it so much. As far as this issue goes, man, it's not bad. It's a break filler issue for Catwoman. It was okay. The art was good, but also at times I felt like I was looking at 14-year-old girls because of the way that they were drawn especially Harley. It just looked very, very young in, in a lot of place, places. Um, it was filler issue. Didn't feel like it was setting up much at all. Uh, the art was kind of a miss for me. So uh, no high notes and uh, more or less average. I gave this a 6.75 out of 10. But, um, we are not done being Gotham- adjacent and uh we've we've got one more person to take care of that before we skedaddle away from gotham brandon you want to help us out with this one yeah well i guess to to kick off this story it's not quite adjacent just yet as we're going to start in none other than gotham city itself uh but yes this is nightwing number 92 uh brought to us by the usual suspects of tom taylor with art from Bruno Redondo, a colors from Adriana Lucas, and letters from Wes Abbott. Our story picks up in a, a day of yesteryear um, in Gotham City uh, during some blackouts where uh, Robin, Batman, and uh, Batgirl are taking care of some rioters, and Batman is telling Robin to stay back because the trouble is just a little bit extreme for him to handle, but Dick, being his usual impulsive self, leaps right into the fray and is trying to stop the looters uh, before they get the upper hand on him and ultimately start to beat the crap out of him. Thankfully, Babs is able to intervene before it gets too serious, but Dick is still very injured um, and unfortunately has to kind of bow out of the fight thanks to some intervention from Alfred, who also shows up in time with the Batwing to make sure that Dick is airlifted to safety. Back at Wayne Manor, Bruce is ready to give the business uh, to Dick for his disobeying his orders, and Alfred immediately steps in and said, the boy has suffered enough, not just physically, but mentally. He knows he wants to please you, but right now, the last thing he needs is a lecture. He needs a 
you know, a, a, a shoulder to not necessarily cry on, but just kind of, you know, process everything that happened. We cut to Bloodhaven now in the middle of uh, Dick's campaign where he's now opened up the Haven, a public center for the homeless and other people to, uh, you know, not have to worry about being kicked out or anything. They can just enjoy life and get food and all that stuff. Bruce is there to congratulate his opening of the center, um, but also chide him a little bit on the use of Alfred Pe- Alfred Pennyworth's image as a statue. Um, Bruce is a little bit uncomfortable about that, but Dick is telling him that he doesn't really care, seeing as how Alfred is a public figure and someone that most people would respect uh, and would have no problem seeing his, you know, his face and his figure uh, in the, you know, in the haven. Um, they run into Roland, um, who, uh, oh my God, did I just say Roland? Blockbuster. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, Blockbuster. Um, wait, why I didn't did know I just you and him were on forget a first his last name? Basis, name. Man. Yeah, well, I was, I, I, to be honest, I literally forgot his last name for a second. Roland Desmond. Um, Blockbuster, okay. who is not congratulating Dick on his, his uh, opening of The Haven, but, you know, doing his usual blockbuster thing, making not-so-subtle threats as to what's going to happen. And uh, Dick shows uh, de- or, uh, Blockbuster that he is not one to be trifled with and immediately calls on his mentee, uh, Mr. John Kent, who arrives in full Superman costume to let him know that he is high friends in high places who are not going to tolerate any kind of nonsense. But that doesn't stop Blockbuster all that much as he sends some goons later that night to sort of mess stuff up in the Haven. Um, thankfully, Nightwing has the call from Melinda or Melina Zuko, um, who lets him know that, uh, you know, that people are messing stuff up in the Haven and Dick is able to intervene in enough time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Dick is able to remove their masks while, uh, you know, taking them out in the meantime. And, uh, in doing so, get some face ID on who these people are and hopefully trace that back to Desmond. Um, but while Blockbuster is finding out that the his attack on the Haven has failed, uh, he gets some unwelcome company in the form of Heartless, who has finally decided that they need to deal with Dick Grayson once and for all, and he has something of a proposal on how to deal with their mutual problem. Uh yeah, this issue is, I mean, as usual, is pretty good. Really quick. I don't know if you guys had this experience, but I got this yeah. through this issue in like seven minutes. It was just a really fast read. Um, I don't mean that in a bad way, although I, I do wish there was a little bit more meat to this issue. Um, but I, I was very you know, satisfied with the read. And you can never go wrong with a classic flashback. Um, especially when you get to see Bruno Redondo draw my favorite version of the Batsuit. But that's just fan service. Um, that has nothing <laughs> to do with the quality of the story, um, which I would still say is pretty good, despite how short it felt. Um, so, yeah, Nightwing kicking ass as usual, and you know, reading an issue like this, as well as the other issues that have been released so far, you can see why this book was nominated for like all the Eisners this year. It's just a joy, visually and story-wise. Um, to to read so yeah this one got an 8.5 for me and man when i cracked this open and i saw the first page i was like man this is some pretty good art who did this (laughs) i I had to go back and i had to go back and make double sure it was redondo because he stepped outside of his lane just to show the time period 
and man, yeah, he did the yeah. waltz right there. That man can draw and not just one specific style. And on top of that, he managed to pull off a seamless transition from old school to his normal style. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not, but it slowly got modern. Um, that was fan-fucking-tastic. And, of course, all of the voices were perfect for all of the characters. That is one of Tom Taylor's specialties. It was a neat and well-done dip back into Dick's motivation. It was unnecessary for this, but it was well done. Uh, during that attack at the uh, um, when, when Nightwing went out to take on those thugs, I love that instead of just kicking their asses, he removed the masks so that they could get them on camera. I thought that was great. What an awesome story idea. Um, and uh, and I guess at the end, Heartless wants to team up with Blockbuster. Now that part confused the hell out of me because unless I'm mistaken, didn't Heartless actually kill someone else before for going after Nightwing? Because he's heartlesses or, or or something along those lines. Am I mistaken in that? But I could have swore. No, you're that, right. He killed uh, what's her face, the Gun Bunny and the other guy, Gunhawk, yeah. something yeah. like that. Right. Because they were going after Nightwing, and now he wants to team up with Blockbuster, who is undoubtedly more selfish and will do whatever it takes to get his way. So that to me felt a little off. Um, but altogether. Not bad, man. Actually, pretty good. Uh, for a filler issue, for the most part, it really didn't serve any purpose, but it was a very, very well-executed one. So because of that, I and, and because of just art for this, Bruno Redondo always kicks ass. Let's just put that out there. But this showed what this man can do. To me, it was just amazing. So a little higher than what I usually usually give for a, a filler issue uh 7.75 out of 10 what do you think rob well <laughs> yeah the, these last few issues are going to be awkward for me um so i mentioned before we started the show i was talking to josh about nightwing uh, how i didn't really have a lot of notes because at this point i'm i'm just out of things to say because I keep repeating the same things I love about it. Uh, I think I we need to start really... calling that swamp thing syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm repeatedly not being able to find any criticism about it or any, any bad things to say. I'm just really, really, really enjoying the issues. But the one thing I can say, instead of going issue by issue, um, which for this one, the only note I had is more amazing art because Dan Bruno Redondo was pumping out some friggin' awesome work. Um, the only thing I could say, and this is really just speculation on my part, it's a really slow build. It's been a long story. Heartless, I think, was in Taylor's first issue of his run, and it's been quite a few issues since then, and we haven't really seen a lot of that character. So there hasn't been a lot of payoff. And this this long arcing story with his half sister and the money Alfred left him, and there's been a lot of of in between issues like that that uh, one panel issue, and there's been some crossovers happening. 
So there's been a lot happening with Taylor's run so far, but for his main story, it's been a very slow build. And I do wonder if it's more entertaining seeing that month by month and having those filler issues to gap it. And those filler issues are also a lot of fun. But if you were to read it as a trade, would it feel so much slower? And would it be a lot more dull to really take See, in? I was time? thinking about that too. Yeah. Josh because did say that I, maybe it would be a more cohesive story and it would be a lot more fun because it's just one long story and it feels yeah. to the point. Well, I, was, I was thinking about that too because, I mean, I, I the example I always go back to is Tom Taylor had a run on Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man and a lot of people loved it. And I, I myself included, because I was reading that as a monthly, I think it was only about 13 issues. It's meant to be 12, but they gave him an extra one if I remember correctly. It might have been 14. Um... And that was like that was like the perfect monthly read. It was just like, hey, this is really good, feel good Spider Man. And I was like, yeah, this is great. And then the book ended, and I never thought about it again. And I had all the issues, you know, in, in my collection. And I I kind of decided to go back and reread it. And I was like, this is good, but it's it's not really a great read when you read it collectively. It's just kind of like a bunch of random stories kind of put together, and then they're is one loose overlying story um, with the whatever underworld was going on. But I, I, I keep thinking about the, it's like in the back of my mind. It's not a serious thing. Like I still enjoy the book, but I, I worry that it's going to have that same effect where it's like, this is a great monthly read, but when it's all said and done, is it going to feel like a satisfying, you know, larger story? And not every run has to be that, but um, you, you do kind of worry if it just feels like pointless, you know, when it's all, when it's all wrapped up. See, and I, I'm, I'm of the mind where uh, there are people who are finding that the Nightwing book is too slow, like we've mentioned here ourselves. That said, I feel as though if we were to take, I mean, he's been go- he's hitting nearly 10 issues now, and um, I think if we were to be able to take all of it once he's done, uh, at least with this arc, if we were able to take it and throw it into, in, into a, a, a trade... I feel like if I was to pick that up, having never read it before, I would read that in as close to one sitting as possible because of how how seamless the story does move from one issue to the next and on and on and on. And while the, the issues, um, generally speaking, feel like they're very quick, I feel like that would be the exact same in the trade. And uh, it would be one of them, one of those trades, uh, like uh, like my Sandman once, where I feel like once I started it, I wouldn't be able to put it down until I got far enough that I I either had to fall asleep or I finished the book. But well, that, it's not so much being me. able to finish it for me. It's just like what kind of lasting impact is this going to have on me? Because, um, I, I, again, that was my problem with Friendly Neighborhood. It was like when I went back to read the the thing as a, as a whole, as a complete story, it just didn't resonate as much as a full story as it did month to month. So I think, I think that's my concern. It's like, if I were to read this, you know, cover to cover when the run is finished, am I still going to feel as strongly about it as I did reading it month to month where it was like, oh, this is really good. I'm just kind of vibing with it and I enjoy it on to the next one as opposed to reading it as a complete thing and seeing what kind of effect that has on me as a complete story. So I don't know. It's hard to say, but I just... That was in the back of my mind, and Rob, you said that, and I was like, oh my god, I, I, I'd been thinking about that, but I kind of forgot it, because I, I figured it was just my own baggage, but 
you, you kind of said that and it reminded me of something that I thought about a little while ago. Yeah, it's just just a thought that popped into my head. It it might be the only negative thing I could ever say about Tom Taylor's Nightwing. Mm. <laughs> the yeah. the five time Eisner Award nominated book. <laughs> but I gave this issue a nine out of ten. Like <laughs> I freaking <Yeah>. loved it. <laughs> it was pretty good. All right, there is one issue left to go, so let me go ahead and speed on over to it. We are on Flash number 782, written by Jeremy Adams with art from Fernando Parcerin and Parcerin, and Matt Ryan, Jeremy Cox, and Peter Pentezis for colors and lettering by Rob Lee. I butchered all of that. Thank you. Um, plus, the cover came from Brandon Peterson and Michael Atea. Um, so this is the issue. A lot happens in a short amount of time. Uh, some of it's leaving my head scratching, but, uh, while Linda and the kids are getting ice cream and she's reassuring the kids that their dad is just fine, she's wrong. And him and Wally are kind of getting their asses handed to them by Girder, a big mechanical dude with braids and cargo pants. He's been around for about 20 years, just doesn't show up very much. Uh, Girder starts running away for some reason even though he's winning, and is concerned that some she might find out that he didn't do something. As he's running, our two speedsters attack and realign his iron skin to be magnetized, and he is surrounded and sandwiched between a bunch of cars. The kids and mom are at the park where Jay and Irie are playing soccer. They start using their powers, even though they shouldn't, and Jay accidentally kicks the b- ball out into the street where Irie is almost ran over by a car. Linda races to save her using super speed, and now the cat is out of the bag. At Iron Heights, Wallace knocks on the door to the penitentiary without tripping any censors and tells them to open up Girder's cell and to hurry up. Why? Because in order to get Girder back to his cell easily, excuse me, Wally strapped a giant piece of metal to his back and is pulling the magnetized girder through the air behind him using his super speed while girder is yelling slow down. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, The prison listened. The guards went ahead and opened up the cell and his plan worked. Now that's where he's at. So the warden comes out to say thank you, and he's doing so as he's walking them out of the prison, giving a really flimsy explanation as to how Girder got out. Someone forgot to push a button. Wally doesn't buy it and goes to Terrific Tech to dig up blueprints of Iron Heights to investigate because, of course, Terrific Tech helped design the prison. Meanwhile, in the prison, the warden is definitely a bad dude uh you could have been able to tell that quite easily because he's in a comic book and he's a prison warden (coughs) it's almost guaranteed (laughs) and on top of that all he is standing there with blacksmith girder says someday he'll get out run away and tell everyone what is going on in the prison and that's when the warden says no i don't think you will Back to the flashes with the confirmation that the treadmill was stolen by Johnny Quick, but no explanation is offered or anything other than saying that the treadmill was stolen, and it instead focuses on how sloppy Wally is, 
before introducing the completely irrelevant and no extra bonuses uh, stealth flash suits that they have. Um, basically, they're just black, and that's it. Didn't see or hear about any extra anything that these suits offered. But they put them on, they break into the prison, and they don't find anything other than the warden is running, other than that the, the warden is running for mayor. And they almost make it out unnoticed until Wallace sees Girder and slows down Wallace. Wally is like, hey, we got to keep moving or we'll set off the pressure plates until he sees what's gone on. Girder has been turned into a giant ball of metal with no indication that he's alive. It looks like he was just crushed. That's when the prison guardian robots try to attack them, but they get away. Afterward, we see the warden wants to talk to Captain Cold. They get home, the Wallace and Wally that is, and of course Wally has to take off to set up a Dark Crisis tie-in. So he doesn't get to find out about Linda's powers, but now Wallace knows. Uh, it was a pretty decent story. There was uh, quite a bit of unnecessary fluff, but overall it was good. The art almost always is inside of a flashbook. Um, Girder was part of the Blacksmith's Rogues back in the day. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with that at all or remember it, but Penguin put together a Rogues I did, team. yeah, from the yeah. Jeff Johns run, which I yeah. hope it's not just going to be a retread of that story. Boy, me too. Um, I like that story. It's a, it's a great Keystone story, but um, I just does. I don't want to see it again. Um, cause yeah, that, like, I, that was a good story for blacksmith. Don't do it again. Like you don't have don't to just do retread again. a plot. Yep. And, uh, so out of blacksmith's rogues, we got blacksmith, we got girder already. There's only two m more members that make an appearance murmur and plunder. Um, all of these characters were created by Jeff Johns with plunder being the only one not co, co not co-created by Ethan Van Skeeved out. Um, I hate that yeah. he's probably. And then isn't there isn't there Double Down and Magenta? Yes. Double Down and Magenta, and I think they were trying to bring Grodd in there too, but that might have been later in the run. That's one of my favorite runs, so I know that one like back to front. Right on. Um, so, as one would expect, this art is great. Uh, that's just what happens in a flashbook. I like the story, but at the same time. It seems to be really dragging things out super slow. Um, I thought it was good. Not as good as it could have been. A little bit too much weird shit. Um, I, it, it got a 7 out of 10 for me. How about you guys? Well, uh, I keep it a nine out of ten. <laughs> I honestly, I was, I was loving this week's books. I I, I will agree that uh, amazing art. Uh, really, the only thing I, I had to take a double look at was the design of Iron Heights. I, I get it's a super powered prison, but this is the most high tech, futuristic city looking prison I've ever seen. It it looks like neo gotham when you're looking at it from miles away it it, mm -hmm. it was really weird um but i i did love this little mini story arc with wally and wallace getting together and being family and being cousins and, and 
doing that that stuff together and yeah i i was not aware i did not read the the flash jeff johns run uh so i wasn't really aware of what was going on with the blacksmith and all that but with with you guys filling me in on that um yeah i hope it's not just a retread of a previous story because that that would be a little disappointing um but every story is a new story to somebody so it would be new to me or it'd be a retread to you guys i just hope it fits well with the 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 quality we've been getting so far um you and me both but as for the the yeah the Wally and Wallace stuff, I, I absolutely ate that up. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was very on point for both characters, especially when they, uh, when Wallace comes up with the idea. I think Wally and Wallace both came up with ideas, and, and when it was Wallace's turn, just the look on his face was amazing. <laughs> He's so <laughs> proud and, and, and so fun having. So, so, so having so much fun, I mean to say. Uh, so yeah, 9 out of 10 for me for this one. I... Fuck man, I loved it. What would you think, Brandon? Yeah, I gave this one an eight out of ten. Uh, this book has just been a lot of fun, um, and and continues to be a lot of fun. Um, the art from Fernanda Prasarin, who I don't know what happened to me, but like I used to hate Fernanda Prasarin's art, especially on Green Lantern Corps. But now it's like maybe it's just a a, a product of age even though I'm not that old but um it just or a it's product really working of practice. in this book for me yeah i mean it, i just maybe feel like it's now it. all of a sudden i see it um yeah. it's it's so much better um at least to me um but yeah the art is great um a couple of continuity notes that were a little confusing i didn't know why wally was acting like he doesn't know warden wolf um right which, it was just a little weird because he's like yeah. he's introducing himself for the first time and it's like Wally, you've met this guy like multiple times um multiple times like recently um but uh, yeah for some reason um and then there was a, another thing that just made me laugh it's the thing that could only happen in in comic books or really bad b movies so rob you had mentioned iron heights and how it just looks really weird um which again made me laugh because it was like the last time I remember seeing Iron Heights, it was on an island. Even though before that, right. Iron Heights was like somewhere in a mountain. So now I guess it's seemingly back in a mountain. Even though in Williamson's run, <laughs> Iron Heights was on like some random island because I remember because there were multiple scenes where Barry had to, to like take a boat oh, out yeah. to Iron Heights and he was like commiserating and all that stuff. And I was like, wait a minute. Back then, I was like, wait a minute, why is it on an island? And now I'm like, wait a minute, why is it back on land? And it's, it's, it, it, if I say it's like a bad B movie, because it reminds me of like, um, like Ed Wood, where it's like, oh God. Like, oh, the audience, <laughs> the audience isn't, the audience isn't going to pay attention to that stuff. Like, who cares, right? Like, oh, it's on a mountain now, uh, whatever. Like, they, they won't know. They won't see it. They don't pay attention to stuff like that. They don't care. But it's like, hey, I just want you to know. There, there are weirdos out there that do pay attention to that stuff because they have nothing better to do with their yeah. lives, and I'm one of them. And I know I caught you. It was on it. It was on an island, and now it's in the mountains. You thought I wouldn't notice it, but I did. This now isn't, before, this isn't like before Williamson's Plan Nine run. from Outer Space, I can see it. Oh God, <laughs> that is so bad. That is so uh, bad. If this but, were Marvel, that would net you a no prize. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah. let's see here. Before Williamson's run, it was in the mountain, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. So then 
it was Williamson that fucked it up, not 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 Jeremy yep. Adams. So. <laughs> that, that, that's yeah, no, hearing. that's that's the thing. That, that's why I'm just like, oh, I guess it's hello. Uh, uh oh, that's not good. Oh, what the? Brandon, are you back? Brandon's. You hear me? <laughs> There's there is two Brandons. What? I <laughs> you you uh, you uh yeah you just kind of yeah, uh, disappeared there for a second. So anything yeah, you may have said, happened. you did not hear. Um, yeah, no, I was just saying. I assume that was like a flashpoint thing. Like, oh, maybe Iron Heights is just on an island now because it's the new continuity. But um, no, I guess it's back in the mountains. So I don't know. I guess someone will figure it out. But that's what I mean. Like, it's 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 like bad B movie <laughs> logic. It's like, oh, who cares? Who cares where it is? Yeah. You're not. They're not gonna. They're not gonna care about that <laughs> stuff. That's like minor details. So well, yeah, next 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 we're gonna see it show up as a as a satellite to uh, the outer space. Yeah, it'll Watch probably time. be on the moon next <laughs> yeah. time, or like it'll be. Yeah. It, it won't even be like in like Keystone City. It'll be in Gotham or like something else. And be like, Coast oh, City. okay, yeah, yeah. Some but, places yeah, with I, black I just hate. I thought that was funny. It was like, oh, I guess I guess they they think we won't know, but someone will know. Someone who pays attention us. to the unimportant minutia like that will know, and I did. And I call, yeah. I'm calling you, you out. Called out <laughs> and checked. Yeah. I second the motion. But, all right, I suppose yeah. that is it for the books. Now let's get into the good times. And talk about our top three. Brandon, you want to hit that one first? Sure. Uh, as a surprise to no one, my number one for this week is Nightwing, as it typically is. I just really enjoy that. Uh, at a close second, I had The Flash. Um, and rounding out my number three pick for this week, I put World's Finest, which, again, while it's missing that special something, it's still a, just a gorgeous-looking book, and it is fun to read. I just I wish it could go a little bit deeper um favorite moment i mean christ take your pick from nightwing 92 it's it's really hard (laughs) to choose but um that whole sequence of you know bruce and uh and dick and barbara fighting in the past i'm i'm a sucker for when colorists will apply this it's like i don't know exactly what it is but it's the special coloring technique where you can basically make a comic look old like it has that old duotone um where it has like the dots and everything um, I don't know what the technique is called. I assume it's something you can do in, you know, like uh, Text Pro or whatever software they use. But it's so cool, and I love seeing it because um, it works so well. Um, but yeah, no, that entire sequence, especially the ones that show like that classic, you know, uh, yellow oval, um, blue cape, Batman suit. That's uh, that's right up my alley. So I loved it. Um, I'm I'm going through like my old collection right now, so. I have a bunch of like the uh, like Jim Starlin era Batman issues, and that one has that suit in it. So it's was, it was making me feel very nostalgic um, to to that era, even though I wasn't alive. But like, still, it looks really cool. So yeah, that that sequence was awesome. Uh, I think I'm gonna tell him, Rob. Um, you know the new upcoming Gotham Knights show, where uh, Batman is I gone. Think, yeah, I remember that being a thing. Yeah. Um, Batman is gone, but Batman, uh, they, ha- they have like a little shrine to him almost, and it features the uh, blue cowl. Ah, yes. Yeah. Love that. So I thought yeah. that that was pretty cool. 
right, yeah. Rob, what do you got? If I ever write Batman, I'll find an excuse to bring that costume back. You better. That'll be that'll be my legacy. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that art technique you're referring to, I think it's just called. I could be wrong, but I think it's just called dotting. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it, it is, older. but yeah, it's that it's that way that yeah they make it look old. So maybe yeah, it's dotting. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. Dotting, I just, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really cool, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, that that um, shit was everywhere in crossover. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Or I guess ask Jeff Shaw. Um, oh well, yeah, I guess that. I'm, yeah, sure, I'm sure the artist. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah the Jeff artist. Um, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Let's say whatever art technique is is cool. Or wait, maybe Deconiff because I think she's the colorist. Whatever. Someone knows the answer. <laughs> Some somebody there, yeah. Somewhere, yeah, someone, someone knows. Over the dotting. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rob. What do you got for your right. top three? My top three at number three, I had. This is it's kind of a funny top three. Now that I look at it, it's, it's, uh, it's basically the three books we covered. So Catwoman at number three, and then I had Nightwing at number two. Uh, both books I rather really enjoyed, and number one, I had Flash because while it did feel like a long issue, I sped through it because I had so much fun with it. I think I technically read it twice because I had to go back and check stuff. Yes! Oh my god! I'm so happy I could hug you. Cha <laughs> <laughs> cha. Oh yeah. Oh comedy. So, my favorite <laughs> moments uh, will also come from my number one book, as it typically does, I find. Uh, and it's just the look of joy on Wallace's face, both when he comes up with a plan and when he tells Warden Wolf that the Flash went for it. <laughs> it's just so mm-hmm. much joy and excitement on his face. And you see Wally running really, really fast with the magnet and Gerger telling him to slow down, as, as was described by Josh. Uh, so much fun. Honestly, seeing Wally is as the kid Flash to to well to Wally's Flash, I think is is a better pairing than Wally to Barry's Flash. Like I Wallace you know to what? Barry's Flash. Like I feel like they have I, a better chemistry here yeah. than they did throughout the entirety of the previous mm-hmm. Flash run. Yes, well, Barry and and this is really just I, I guess like an in-universe explanation. Well, Barry is the original Flash, and Wally and Wallace got their powers from Barry, uh, Wally and Wallace are actually family. So they, they've had that yeah. connection for years, and you can really tell that in the way that it's written and, and uh, uh, the way they act around each other. They have that, that history and, and uh, spent their childhood together. So it is mm. a really good connection. Couldn't agree more. I am right there. That dynamic that they share is is different because what we got from Wally and Barry was Wally just idolizing Barry while Barry went around and bumbled through life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or moped. <laughs> so now there there's no good intentions and a whole bunch of mistakes happening. Now it's just Wally who, you know, he knows he's kind of a screw up and and a slob and honestly a little lazy, but he keeps his flash shit going and um yeah. I think that whole the polarizing personalities of 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 Wally and Wallace work really well together here too. 
But uh, I think it's I think my, it's just good to see Wally in this light because like I mean even when Bart was Kid Flash, he never really seemed like he wanted to deal with them. He was always just like, uh, like Bart, I don't even I don't even want to deal with this kid. Just like fuck off and go somewhere else. Like <laughs> right? I don't I I really have to rely on you when when I have to, not because I want to. Um, right. But I think I this this version of Wally seems impulses. Yeah, he's just like there we go. Like, he was just like, oh, uh, like I don't, I don't, I don't really feel like dealing with you. I, I just kind of have to. Um, but this one, he actually seems like he wants to be a, a good mentor to to Wallace or Ace, which is nice. Yeah, Ace. He's come a long way. Yeah, he has. Uh, all right, so my top three, a uh, bit different than y'all's. Uh, I'm giving number three to Nightwing. Um, Spectacular issue, but a filler issue. Uh, Duo is number two. That shit blew my mind. I loved it. Loved the art. Really digging the story. Can't wait to find out what the hell's going on with these immortals and what else we're going to get out of Earth M. And then finally, the book that I enjoyed the most this week went to World's Finest. Uh, I had a whole lot of a whole lot of fun with it. Um, it's it's gorgeous, and I love the way Mark Wade Mark Wade writes. And any time that you can bring the Doom Patrol in, is just gonna make me happy. Uh, so my favorite moment, like Rob's, and I believe like Brandon's, is also gonna be in my number one book this week uh, in World's Finest. I thought it was a really cool um, inclusion because we all know that Superman uh, follows uh, Kryptonian religion. And where uh, Robin asks Batman how Superman was able to get them out of their uh, their delusion, their hallucination, the answer is that Superman was able to know that they weren't in hell because he doesn't believe in hell. And he was able to pull them out and save them. I thought that was a pretty neat, neat little deal there. Um, but that is my top three and my favorite moment. And now that means there's only one thing left to do. We are going to get into the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. Indeed it is. Rob, what made your stink list today? So I want to say we all have the same one, but I genuinely am not entirely sure. For me, this week was Shadow Warzone. It was just pure filler. Yeah. Had maybe one very interesting story, and the rest I kind of could have done without. So, yep. that's the stink today. Brandon, you said that was the same one as you. Yeah, as uh, as fillery as um as uh, as Catwoman was, I still enjoyed that than the majority of the stories in uh in Shadow War Zone, which was just kind of like it had one. Kind of decent story, one okay story, and then two entirely unnecessary stories. Couldn't agree more, man. I felt uh, like it was a huge letdown, not impressed at all. Feel like it was a $6 cash grab. It brings back Luke Fox because, I mean, he's made, like, what, in the past year, maybe three cameo appearances that ended up being nothing. Seeing Canary a part of the Shadow War makes sense, but all of this could have been done within normal books without having to fork out the money for this uh, tiny anthology. So that one made my biggest stinker this week. And with that, I do believe that brings us to the end of the show. Make sure you uh, holler at us on Twitter. It is at not a robot comics. 
You can reach us there. Send us any messages. You can ask us questions, or you can tell us how wrong we are about our opinions, which uh, seems to be what most people like to do. Ha! Uh, you can also help support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash NAR podcasts. You can get in with a single donation, a monthly donation, either or will get you into our Discord where you get to hang out with us and yell at us even more and other members of the Not Robot Podcast Network. Um, there's just under 20 of us there, so there's all kinds of fun stuff being talked about all the time. We are open to ideas for shows as well, so make sure you holler there. And I believe that will wrap us up. So as always, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. <laughs> <laughs>